Hello and welcome along to episode number nine of A Blank Canvas. We are one episode away from our first milestone, our 10th episode. I'm so excited. Anyway, episode number nine. In this episode, I sit down and talk with George Godfrey. He's a great guy and he's also the presenter of Radio X's evening show, Monday to Friday, 7 till 10pm. We talk about so much. We talk about his worst DJing experiences, which by the way, are very funny. We talk about the music industry. We talk about how we got into radio. We talk about what he would paint on a blank canvas. It's such a great episode. This is episode nine of A Blank Canvas with George Godfrey. Welcome to A Blank Canvas with Cameron Ross. So, George, I want to start at the beginning. Is radio something you've always wanted to do? If it is, without sounding cliche, did you sort of um, pretend to be a radio presenter as a kid or how did it all begin for you? It's funny that question because like you hear so many people and, and they're always like, oh yeah, I've dreamed about it doing, doing mm. radio since I was a kid <laughs> and, and like, yeah, I used to tape stuff off the chart on the radio and that and do my own presenter links. But uh, to be honest with you, no. <laughs> so um, I, it all sort of happened by accident really. Like, well, no, not by accident because that's, being a bit sort of like blasé about it but basically my plan for after college was to go to uni and do Spanish Uh, (laughs) and then didn't get the didn't get the grades I needed so I ended up going on clearing um, to Nottingham Trent and I was like oh they do this journalism course that's like it's well well reviewed and and like that could be quite interesting so I did that with the intention of doing like Spanish as well on the side. And then just, just through like years of doing that, like I was like, well, what can I do with this degree? What can I do with this sort of education I'm getting and the skills? And radio was just something that was always there. Like, I don't know if you know, but like student radio scene, particularly around then, so that was like 2012 in Nottingham was like really strong. And a fair few of my mates off, um, off my course for doing it. And I was like, well, it's something that could be quite cool. And, and like, I'd always like, listen to Zane Lowe's show and, uh, and like Moyles back in the day, like on Radio One. So I thought I'll give it a go. And, and so I took it from there, really. It's interesting you mentioned student radio because I actually was at the conference where uh, it was, two, it was the, the Newcastle one in 2004. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's where we first met, right? Yeah, that is. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that was, it was a, it's, it's a very, I think the student radio conference is a very, um, under, underrated experience of people wanting to get into radio. Even if, even if you're not particularly wanting to pursue radio, it's still a very fascinating and fun mm. thing to experience. So I've got to ask, um, can you speak any Spanish? See, <laughs> <laughs> sí. there's, right, there's, okay. there's, there's a funny story actually with that. Like we, we were in college. And there were a few of us on, on our Spanish class who, who did want to go and do it at uni or do languages of some sort. And they took us, I went to school in Blackburn, and they, um, they took us to this, this Spanish debating competition. In, Wait, uh, in, what? Yeah, what? yeah, it's a thing, apparently. It was, and it were in, uh, it were in Cheadle Hume. And, uh, <laughs> of all places. Yeah, yeah. 
and I went down and it was like my turn to speak. I, it was something to do like talking about like overfishing red tuna or something, which is like a classic on that course. And like the guy, the, my feedback after were, um, were from this guy and he, he was from Seville or something. He's like, I think you spoke very well, but that's the, the most interesting interpretation of a Spanish accent I've ever heard. Because it would just like, it would just broad Burnley accent, but speaking Spanish words, I guess. Like that's amazing. I didn't know about the. Uh, I didn't know that was a thing. To be honest, the whole. Uh, well, neither did I until I got uh, made. I say made to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing based on the fact you said you uh, wanted to pursue Spanish, that it wasn't friends or family that was sort of pushing you in the direction of radio. It was just something that you found for yourself through curiosity, I guess. Yeah. yeah so. It, Part of the um, the broadcast course that I did at uni was you had to go and do a few modules of work experience. So the first one I did was BBC Lancashire, like in the summer, and I, it was all right. But like, I didn't really get too much to do that I was interested in. Like, I was sitting in and answering phones on on the breakfast show and going out and <laughs> doing vox pops with people on the streets of Blackburn, which was always interesting. Uh, having to talk about all sorts. of like crap that was in the news that day. Um, but I think like it really started clicking for me. I did um I did some experience at Key 103 a year later. Um and it was because I met James, who was the producer of the show in demand at a student radio thing, and I saw that they did a lot of filming for live sessions. Was that with and Alex like, and Lucy this- at the time? It was just Alex at the time, who's now breakfast right. on excess. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and we and, and weirdly, James is now the producer of Moyles at Radio X, which is where I've ended up. So it's it's kind of gone full circle. Uh, wow, but yeah, like working that. working on that show was like a lot of fun, and going in and doing stuff in the evenings, and yeah, just doing stuff that is more more music focused than anything else, really. So journalism for you was more of a sort of stepping stone, um, like a bit of a gateway to open up. I guess the radio world in terms of like the entertainment aspect of it and the music aspect of it more than the sort of LBC hardcore kind of journalism <laughs> aspect. Yeah. I mean, when I did start the course, I had like friends and family like, oh, so do you want to be a journalist? And I'd convinced myself that I did want to go and like get into <laughs> like investigative journalism or go and work for like Reuters or something like that. And then I was like, oh, do you know what? I'd just rather just talk about tunes. <laughs> <laughs> so can we talk about the stations you've been on so far? You started at Absolute Radio 80s, is it? 90s? 90s was my first one, yeah. Um, how many stations did you sort of uh, <laughs> present on throughout your Absolute experience? Well, so I mean, now there's what? There's, they've got it up to 20s now, right? So I think when I was there, the, the most recent one they had was noughties, and I did them all. I did them all apart from 80s. But I remember there was one day when I think it was like Chris Martin was ill and I had to cover on 60s. And I, I said to my boss, I'm like, look, this is stretching my knowledge pretty thin here. Like I don't have a lot of experience of 60s music, but, but I'll give it a go. Uh, <laughs> but, that, you know, it was an experience and it, it was good to sort of open my eyes to, to all the, those different styles and particularly with um, with 70s, because 70s was so pop-based when I was there. It was good fun. So you've, I'd say you've now got a highly coveted show on a pretty fucking good radio station. Cheers, man. Uh, the evening show on Radio X, 7 till 
10, Monday to Friday. Tell me everything about it. You must fucking love it. It must be um, essentially a dream job for you, really. Yeah, I mean, like, so getting into to radio, I was always listening to shows like Zane Lowe on Radio 1, and I was listening to XFM at the time when it was XFM Manchester as well, when it was uh, Cocker on Breakfast and uh, Clint in the afternoon. And, and it was just those kind of shows, that alternative music that really sort of was what I was passionate and and I'm passionate about. So getting getting here now, it's been a, it feels like it's been a long journey, but it's definitely been something that I've wanted to do for as long as I've been in radio, I guess. So yeah, buzzing. So just to rewind quickly, do you remember the first time you were paid to present a radio show? And what was that feeling like? Was it a sort of right? You can you get paid to do this kind of thing? Yeah, yeah it were. Um, so after, so I got onto Absolute Nineties after winning a student radio thing, and that the prize of that competition was getting a show on there. And after I'd done it, that was like I'd just finished uni as well, so I was literally packed my bags up from Nottingham, was going back up north, and then Paul, the boss of Absolute. Give me a ring. He's like, "Oh, we've got some cover work coming. Um, is there any chance you want to come and do that? Like a couple of nights somewhere?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> I, was like, I, I was like, "My only other plans were to go back to the coffee shop that I worked in and then just try and try and find some work." Like, <laughs> it makes so, me laugh when when people who can give you uh, good experiences and good positions sort of ask you as if anyone's ever going to say no. It's like. <laughs> I mean, who is ever going to say no to any sort of, you know, it, it's funny. Um, I saw you recently interviewed uh, Dave Grohl. I mean, that must have been pretty, pretty incredible. And also I find the whole, um, I find the studio you broadcast out of and just generally like the global studios are yeah. just, just so impressive. Is it, are all of your interviews on the big sort of like FaceTime screen or do you do some over uh, just audio as well, because it must be quite um, nerve-wracking seeing Dave Grohl's massive <laughs> face on a huge, you know, huge screen. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's like basically for, for anyone who who doesn't know. When we do a lot of the Zoom interviews or the FaceTime ones, it's kind of like a giant iPad on the wall of the studio, <laughs> and like honestly, it literally you can press a button and the wall moves across, and what? then this, this screen's revealed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly. Um, but no, they're not all in there, especially this year with, with COVID and everything. Some, we've had to be a bit more flexible and some of them I have done just like we're doing now. Um, and some of them are still on the phone, like I did Richard Ashcroft a couple of months ago. And he was like, oh, I want to do it on the phone and I'll ring you, <laughs> which was a bit of a, <laughs> all right. a, bit of a funny <laughs> one, yeah. And I was like, well, maybe he doesn't believe in video calls, I don't know, but he for one reason or another, he wanted to do it on the phone, which, you know, that's still something that we do and you just be flexible with it, I guess. So an interesting one, as you mentioned about Richard Ashcroft being somewhat, uh, not awkward, but along the realms of, are there any people, uh, you don't have to name them, you can if you like, who have been awkward and just deliberately, um, well, just deliberately awkward, I guess. Um, do you know what? I've been pretty lucky with that and I've done a lot a lot of interviews like whether it's been like in the studio did a lot of red carpet stuff um absolute and and those are the hardest ones i think because you're getting so many people just back to back to back and you've got to do so much prep but i've been lucky like 
the only ones I can think of that have been awkward have been my fault, to be honest. And it (laughs) was when I was on student radio. I remember once, like, it was, I think it was Dr. Dot Festival in Nottingham. And I was just scampering around, just trying to get whatever interviews I could get. And I did one with Drenge. And like one of our mates is good friends with, with lads like from school or something. And yeah, I don't know. He was just like winding me up in video and it just, it was terrible. We didn't use it for <laughs> anything, but it is what it is. So are there, are, again, on the topic of interviews, are there any that you've been sort of, when you've been told, oh, you're going to be interviewing X person, mm. so-and-so, blah, 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 that you've been like, oh shit, um, uh, like quite sort of flustered or nervous or unsure about how it was going to play out? Uh, I mean, Dave Grohl's a pretty, pretty big one. And that, that was only a few weeks ago because, I mean, it's not every day that you're speaking to the lead singer of the Foo Fighters and also, you know, like the drummer of Nirvana and someone who's done everything that he's done. Like after that went out, um, <laughs> and one of my mates texted me saying, oh, so how does it feel knowing that uh, Dave Grohl called you dude? <laughs> um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was too apprehensive about that. I think I've sort of got more comfortable with it. Like in the early days, uh, in fact, to tell you what, which was one, I were um, I got asked to interview Ed Sheeran, but I only had like I found out the day before, and it were in it was the following morning, and I was walking back from playing Five Aside, and uh, my boss like texted me saying, "Okay, like our interviewer who was meant to do it's fallen through. Can you be Shoreditch Town all tomorrow to interview Ed Sheeran?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be, I'm sure that'll be a pretty big interview to get." but I don't really like know too much about him. I'm not that into his music. So I kind of had to wing it as well. Um, and there were loads of cameras and he played a session. Ooh. It was, it was like a proper professional setup. And I'm just there with, I think the worst part was I didn't even have uh, like pen and paper to write my notes on. So I borrowed my flatmate's iPad. And as the interview started, Ed was like, is that your iPad? I was like, no, it's my flatmates. He goes, has he got Tinder on it? I'm like, yeah, he does. He goes, oh, gives a, he, he goes, gives a go. So he just what? took it and then, yeah, and then he was messing on the iPad, played like on my mate's Tinder, putting selfies up while I'm like trying to remember questions for him. I mean, I guess it kind of uh, like alleviated any sort of pressure, but then at the same time, you're trying to do a job and it probably oh, exactly. made it more difficult for I'm you. Like, I'm like, oh, what, what am I going to get here? <laughs> He's too distracted. <laughs> Yeah. That's funny though. Uh, speaking of cameras and stuff, is TV ever something you've wanted to double in, or you know, down the down the road in the future, is TV something you'd like to do, or is radio where your heart is? Um, I've not really thought too much about telly, to be honest, just because I don't really know what I'd do on there. Like, obviously MTV and stuff like that's still a thing, but like those shows like T4 and Gonzo, they're they're not really around anymore. Um, I tell you what, I'd love to. I'd love to do Buzzcocks. That'd be class. That would be uh, a lot of fun to do yeah. something like that. Although um, I'd definitely end up getting rinsed by like bring Mark the Mark. <laughs> so with your radio show, uh, for people that are completely oblivious to how radio works, mm. how much time goes into pre, post show interviews? Do you have um, any sort of influence on? Well, I imagine you do have quite an influence on the music played, but. Are there other people who sort of chip in and say yes, no, or how does it all work? Uh, so, I mean, like a, an average day, I guess, is I'll get on my emails in the morning. I've got a 
producer on the show, Vin, who's brilliant, and he sort of oversees the plan of what we're going to do and sorts out those interviews, like if we're going to get them, if we've got like a new record of the week, um, and then we'll just sort of, between us, work out when's a good time to do it. We always like pre-record them, sometimes like an hour before the show, or sometimes like a day or two before, depending on the artist's availability. Um, in terms of music, we've got a music team, and, and that's the case for for all commercial radio. To be honest, like they they take the sort of main bulk of that work. I can chip in with suggestions if like oh, we have a feature for like classic albums. So it's like yesterday we were doing Claxon's Myths at Near Future. So I was like, okay, so can we get a few tracks from that away? Uh, or this has been in the news, so can we play something from these this artist? But it's it's like a playlist like any other commercial station at the end of the day. And that's that's just how it works now. Do you feel like a lot of music, which uh, could be super successful, kind of slips through the cracks because there's just so much music going on and because there's so few people who are kind of editing what goes out, essentially? Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not too sure, really, because if that's an issue for radio, I think that's just an issue for the music uh, industry as a whole. Like, it's that old, that I'll say now that it's never been easier to make and distribute your own music. Like anyone can do it with a laptop. So there's so much out there. Obviously commercial radio, like we're focused on a particular genre. And sometimes like, even though, even if an artist is sick, like it might not be suited to the kind of thing that a Radio X audience is necessarily into, even though I might love it. But I mean, that's okay because it's it's for the listeners to consume as well. It's just finding your space as an artist, I think. Do you think that because of everything that's been going on in terms of the pandemic and stuff, people are using radio and music as much more of escapism than ever before because people are working from home, people mm. um, are needing that escape because they can't go to a nightclub or a bar? Yeah. Uh, oh, no, definitely. Like, I mean, I don't know the exact figures behind it, but like my boss has said that the listening's gone up a, a, a decent chunk just across the, the whole day um, during lockdown. Cause like you said, people are working from home, but also like when you're locked away, people, they, they kind of want that connection because that's why radio's so great compared to other mediums. It's live. And it's like, I can be having a conversation with all those listeners as it, as it's happening. And that's something that you can't really get with anything else unless it's like a live stream or something. Um, so yeah, I think people have definitely definitely got more into radio this year than I guess I would have expected, but that's as a result of the pandemic, yeah. I think a lot of people in the past, um, especially sort of features, writers and stuff like that, have kind of criticised radio as a dying platform with Spotify and Apple Music, but I honestly think that radio is one medium out of everything that I think yeah. will last forever, really, because it, it can be used to actively listen. You can be using it as background noise. People use it as, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening are like, think they're your, your, your friend, essentially. Yeah. I mean, let's hope you're right, because I'm only 28, so I've got a few more years <laughs> left in me. I don't want to retrain just yet. Um, <laughs> you're also a DJ and you run your own night, alt disco. Mm. Um it goes without saying, it's a pretty fucking tragic time for the entire industry. Um, but before we sort of touch base on the sadder parts, 
I'm assuming you've not really experienced the perks of presenting the show you've got now, um, like with the guest lists and the festivals and the events mm. you'd probably DJ <laughs> as a result of having the evening show. So are you kind of looking forward to these hopefully returning, I'm guessing? I mean, if if those things come come with the show, then yeah, absolutely buzzing. But uh, my main focus is just doing the show. I don't do it for, for the guest oh, list. And, and, and to be honest, like the way, like you said, the, the way that the industry's gone, um, and and struggle so much over the past eight nine months whatever it's been now, um, you've got to be a bit of a dick to be asking for guest lists when these gigs start happening again. That, like, that is true. That come is on, true. Pay I, was, the I, I, I was more I was more sort of getting at like the fact you get to play, um, you know, festivals and mm. stuff like that with having a a coveted show. Uh, how long have you been DJing for? Uh, I think I started teaching myself. As I, as I started at Absolute, I realized that if I'm going to do this radio thing, it's worth learning just the even the basics of, of DJing just if, if those gigs come along. Um, and it's just something that I really got into. I didn't think I'd get into as much because growing up, I wasn't that into like dance or house or just electronic music in general. But I, I just like, I love it now. It's class. Um, so like, I literally got like one of those beginner little all-in-one MIDI controllers and I was doing it off my laptop in my bedroom. And I was at home, that's still my setup because it, do- it does the job. Um, but yeah, it's just years of practice really and winging it, absolutely winging it for some gigs, Jesus. Like, oh, I can, I can vouch <laughs> for that myself as well. Oh well, yeah, you, you and I both know there were one. So like one of my mates, she works for a theatre company and they put on quite a lot of events. And they were doing this Christmas party for some big firm. I can't remember who it were. And this was legit one of my first paid DJ gigs. And it were like in this big marquee in Central. Like Vernon Kay were hosting the night and they had this live band. It was circus themed. <laughs> and, you know, like I mean, I'm sure you've done it when you're starting out and you have kind of a really tight playlist in mind and you, you really want to stick to it because you're like, oh yeah, but that mm. that blends perfectly into that. I've beat matched them and, and like I've even got the keys matched. It's going to be class. <laughs> and, I mean, the disaster for this night started when Vernon comes on stage and he says like, cheers everyone for coming out. Thanks to the band. He goes, and up next we've got DJ and he looked across as if like I, I've, had like a DJ name or something and I, like it were all going to come off in fireworks on a big screen behind me. And I, de- and I deliberately said, I even deliberately said to the manager, like event managers, I'm like, look, don't need to be introduced. Like I'm just going to, this is a low key thing. Cause like everyone's buzzing off the band. They just want to get on and dance. Like we don't need to make a show of it. And then obviously he does that. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, I haven't got a bloody DJ name. And I was like, he goes, what's your name? Like it's George. And he, he said it down Mike. He goes, you can't be DJ George. <laughs> and everyone in like hundreds of people start creasing and i'm just like right get into the tune get into the tune hit play on first deck and nothing absolutely nothing comes oh out. no and i was trying to work it out i was like looking at mix and like, it's fine we'd sound checked it and then suddenly the whole place plunged into darkness and it was first of five power cuts that night Oh my <laughs> fucking god, George, mate, that's horrible. Uh, <laughs> that is horrible. The best bit were as well, like when we did get the power up and going, the event manager, she's like, "Listen, I know you've been playing these. Like, you need you need something big to come back from here. Like, we, we, otherwise, oh, these god. lot are going back on the coaches. Oh. They've come from all over. 
So I was just like, oh, well, I had this really like decent set plan out. That's that window. Crazy in love. Here we go. Yeah, the mate, that is the worst yeah. when, when that entire situation, I think, is any DJ that's listening to this is like, mm. that is the definition of a nightmare. Yeah. Or, uh, I mean, from start to finish, having, when you're sort of DJing an, an event and you just want to kind of be passive, you mm. don't really want to get involved per se. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Vernon K <laughs> introducing you, oh, questioning God. your name, power yeah. cuts. Oh my God. Well, it reminds me a bit like I was listening to the, the podcast you did with um, Clint Boone and he was saying when he, he DJed at, um, we're at like Kendall calling and they put him up on a big stage or it like Primavera or something. Oh yeah, it was uh, it was either up yeah either yeah. or one of those. Yeah, and he put him up on that big podium, and he's like, "Oh, I'm used to playing in DJ booths." It were exactly like that. And then when I did a, an event for this company again a few months later, they had the the setup on this massive stage in this like big center in Bournemouth. I'm like, I don't want to go on there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you say, you got to get used to it. It's part of the show now, isn't it? Like, you got to it get is, people revved up. It's uh, it's an interesting one though because I. I'm, I'm sure you probably experienced the same, but, and I mean, I was talking to Clint about this as well. You can go from DJing some dingy bar where no one wants to get involved and you're kind of just comfortable with that. And then mm. next minute you're thrown into a festival or some huge event with a, a television, a TV presenter host, and it's just yeah. kind of zero to a hundred. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, but like I said, like people, they, they want, if they're going to go and see a DJ, particularly like a festival, you want a show. You don't just want to see someone playing. Um, so yeah, I've got to maybe work on that side of my game. I th- yeah, I think that's it. I think DJing's uh, an all-round kind of, um, you know, you're a show person, aren't you? You've got to obviously do the technical aspect, but then obviously if you just kind of stood there as a rock, people are like less impressed. Mm. So you've kind of mentioned uh, a disappointing <laughs> night <laughs> for you. On the flip side, what are some of the experiences, whether it's, included at your own event or disco or whether it's been other private events what are uh, is there a night that kind of sticks out to you as like wow that was you kind of walked away at the end and was like yeah wow that was uh that was a lot of fun yeah to be honest like so with my night alt disco i started that um yeah started last year and it's it's just like a small club night work with this venue in dalston called victoria it's about 150 cap tops um and there's been a few where I've because like it's it's mainly about putting th- like three or four bands on, um, and just showcasing some some of the bands that I've been loving at the minute. And then we started making it now where we go on a Friday night and run till late afterwards. So I've been DJing some t- like up until like two a.m. And there's been a fair few, particularly off the back end of last year, where it's been absolutely packed. And even though it's, it's not that many people, but it's still like a full pub and the venue next to it. And it's just, it's just been great. And like those, those are the gigs that I love most where like you don't really have to think about too much what you're doing. You're just playing tunes and seeing people react to them. So I guess it's not one of those nights where you really have to uh, report to anyone. You kind of, it's your night. You can do yeah, what you exactly. want to do really. Yeah. And that, that's what I love about it. Like I didn't think I'd be be able to run something like that because I've no experience with it. Like I'd, I'd DJed at a few gig nights and stuff, but I'd never put anything on myself. And then I thought, well, I've always wanted to do it. If I don't do it now, then I, I might just sack it off and never get around to it. Um, 
but it's been it's been really easy that's testament to the venue that i work with like they're really really good to me and they've like st- stuck by me even on some of the early ones when it's been maybe a bit of a quiet night <laughs> uh, but yeah just just like being in charge of your own show is definitely a definitely a plus is that something you'd like to see grow to a, something larger and potentially multi-venue or are you happy with it being this kind of quaint uh night where you know everyone there mm. is there because they love new music and that kind of experience i think that's always going to be at the heart of it i and i i don't know if i'd necessarily want to go bigger in terms of like the venue size but like this year we did have plans in place to put on a day festival that we, where we couldn't nice. ever get get rolling so that's going to be some of for next year hopefully and I'd love to do like a tour. Like a few of my mates have done him, like Jack on Radio One, like his night hopscotch. He's taken that up, like all around the UK and, and taken bands to different cities. That's something that I'd love to do at some point. But at the minute, I just want to get back in there and, and put anything on, to be honest. Shall we talk about the music uh, industry and the sort of uh, nightlife industry? Mm-hmm. Where do you think from from the position you're in? Where do you think, and just purely your opinion, where do you think that it's going to end up going? Because essentially, the industry has been somewhat royally fucked. Mm. Um, but then also on the flip side, there's been some good come out of it. Whereas bands and producers, etc., have been able to spend the time they'd spend touring. They've been able to apply that time to, to well, I guess in the studio really and yeah. producing. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I've, I've interviewed so many bands this year, um, both for, for Radio X and for this podcast that I do with um, with Jaguar Shoes, who run the Victoria. And I've kind of asked them all the same question, like, okay, you've had plans to tour a lot of a lot of them, if not all of them. You've had festivals in the calendar that didn't happen. How have you found the time otherwise? And most of them, if not all of them, have said, well we've written another album or, mm, or, we've, or we've written enough songs that the album we were going to put out is now completely different. So spoke to Alfie Templeman last week and he was due to like put together his debut album, which like loads of people have been really excited about and waiting for. And then when I said to him, I was like, well, what have you been doing? Cause he's also been shielding. So he's definitely been locked down and he's like, well, I've written the first two albums now. <laughs> oh fucking hell and I was like no what? messing about yeah and it's like, like it's stuff like that so there's going to be I mean there's going to be a massive wave of new music next year that's going to be a lot about lockdown let's I mean that's going to happen in it um, it's going to be interesting though to see how artists and venues bounce back because um, I think before we get anywhere near proper shows or like full shows as we know them they're going to be distanced ones. And I've managed to get to one or two in between these lockdowns. So there's like a little acoustic sets happening at the Victoria in the garden. And that kind of works, but like it's a really small scale. And when you think about the size of the venue and how many people they need through the doors to actually make it viable, it's not really a long-term solution. And then I went to one where everything, everything played for Banquet Records and that were at, um, were at Oceana actually in 
in Kingston, Kingston. which is, yeah, <laughs> I, I still I rem- find it bizarre that it's so shit. I remember going like. there when I went to university in London uh, yeah. in my freshers' week. <laughs> right. Well, that's that's the one and only time I've been to an Oceana, freshers back in day. And they're all the same. <laughs> they're all the same. They've got the themed rooms and they've got like, it, this were weird though, because it were obviously a gig to see this band and they were like, so you need to wait in, in your bubbles up to six. Wait in room two. We'll put some R and B on for you, and, uh, <laughs> and then they lead you. Th- oh they lead you through to the main room. You get on your in your booths or whatever, and then and then the band come on. And it made me realise I was like, do you know what? This, this is a sick room for a gig, and I would never have thought that if I'd been here like on the piss or whatever. So the stuff like, I think we're going to see more of that, and it's it's a lot of venues that you wouldn't necessarily have associated of, of being popular for touring bands like Clapham Grand's been doing loads of them and I don't think I've ever seen a band play there um, so there's going to be a fair few of them before we can get back after the vaccine basically for um, for proper shows not proper shows but full shows um, but I do think there's, I don't know it's it's really hard to say it is a, it's a difficult one and I also think that um, it's it's going to be interesting when you've got the likes of Ticketmaster who I think I'm sure you've read about how mm. they're impl- implying that unless you've got a vaccine you can't book a ticket through them or if you can't provide you've been vaccinated yeah so it's it's going to be I think and also another thing is that I constantly have discussions with other DJs in my industry um well our industry but as in in Manchester mm. um about how a lot of them think it's just going to be normal. It's going to be overnight when everyone's been vaccinated, it'll be back to back to normal. And I'm thinking it's not going to be normal at all because we've just experienced a year's worth of a pandemic. Mm. People are going to behave differently, whether it's whether it's being overly um, excitable because they've been locked away or they're going to be sort of, sort of a little bit nervous and kind of um, aloof because they don't know what's around the corner. And, you know, the whole thing is just quite a strange thing to talk about, isn't it? Yeah. It is, it's interesting you say that as well, like how people are going to behave. Like I was chatting to one of my mates the other day and he's like, he's been itching to get back to it. Like he'll, <laughs> he'll put in WhatsApp, he's like, oh yeah, spent the evening watching uh, Chemical Brothers just live oh. set and, and just watching old print work um, sets on YouTube. He's like, I really need to get back to this. And I was like saying, to be honest, mate, I feel like I want to get back to it, but I'll, I'll need a good few weeks to ease myself in. <laughs> To get like to get back to having those like you know six a.m. finishes, five a.m. finishes, <laughs> it's, it's like a marathon. It's not a sprint. Like I've got to do some training. Yeah, it's it's also crazy to think or when I see footage of festivals and like mosh pits and stuff like that, where people mm. are essentially spitting on each other and like rolling in rolling in wet dirt. That's like coronavirus's idea of a dream, mm. really. Um, but it's weird to think that that was ever a thing. I mean, hopefully sometime in the future. I mean, again, will that even be a thing again? Is that such a, a unhygienic way of um, being a, being in the crowd, the, the audience of a show, that it might be the case that it's going to be sort of tamer now? Or, yeah, it's just, it's confusing, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think, like, there will be, like, changes. It won't go back to exactly how it was, just because people have seen now sort of different practices that can work at a gig. Like I know what one of my sister's mates, they've been putting shows on in, in between these two lockdowns in um, in Gisborne Forest back home, like and getting DJs in. Oh, I know um, that. Yeah. Yeah. It went went really well, didn't it? Yeah, they absolutely smashed it. And 
it was kind of the deal was they had these little platforms that you sat in in your bubbles and it was like so like drinks and, and food brought to you and then like you'd watch the act and then you go back and it's like maybe we'll see more of that like the back half of crowds rather than just having everyone sort of dispersed and brushed in a bit uh, it's interesting you mentioned that because one of my friends and a previous guest, Lucy, she mm. uh, performed at Manchester Academy for a socially distanced event for one of their, I think it was their, um, one of their birthdays. I can't remember what, what birthday it was, but this was in between lockdown one and lockdown two. Yeah. And I was asking her about how it must be strange in terms of backstage, everyone's wearing a mask. And she said, literally up until she opened her mouth to sing, she had to wear a mask, even walking oh, wow. on stage, which is just, which is just crazy. And it affects affects everything because then, yeah. you know, the, the trickle-down effect of people not being able to sell merchandise. She said that what could have been a 2,000 capacity event was mm. 350, 400. The whole thing's just um, it's crazy, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's when I was, because I was looking at trying to get on some um, some distance gigs, just, I mean, just like venues are struggling and obviously they rely on nights like this. And I was like, look, I work with, the Victoria so close. It's like if I can get one or two away, and we can definitely make it work, then I will do. And we had stuff lined up, and then second lockdown came in. But it's really difficult for a lot of venues to put them on because, I mean, as, as I understand it, the only way you can make it work is if you've got separate entrance and exits, so you can't have people coming in and going out the same way. The so same then they're crossing paths. That's going to fuck a lot of smaller venues, I think, something like oh, massively. that. massively. Well, you think about how many of them, if they have got a separate room, it's literally just like a little hole in the wall or behind a curtain. Like, I don't know. It's tough. It really is. In, ter in terms of actual music right now, um, mm. because I, I, get, I get really sad when I talk too much about the, the COVID situation, yeah, but yeah. in terms <laughs> of the actual music coming out, you're, you're essentially in the heart of the scene. What music are you finding really exciting right now? What artists are up and coming that maybe we we don't know about? Because I'm assuming you've got your ear to the ear to the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, just this year alone, like, I've heard so many new bands that haven't necessarily just sprung up, but that I've just I've just missed them. So there's a a really great queer punk band based in I think they're based in Hackney called Dream Nails, who've just put out an album. Um, and it's it, that's absolutely banging. Like it's kind of got this breeders pixies thing going on, um, and that, that I discovered them through just doing an interview with the Victoria. Uh, I really love uh, Youth Sector. Um, they've just put a tune out called Teeth. They pl they came and played one of my nights just before Christmas. Uh, they've kind of got like this talking heads parquet courts thing going on, and then I mean. In terms of like albums this year, it's been to say it's been an absolute stinker. Like we're due some serious gigs. Like we've had a, a new album from Strokes, <laughs> which was class. Like that's still one of my albums of the year. Um, and then you know you look at so many of the releases we've had. Like uh, Gorillas just put one out, which is going to be incredible when they can perform that live. Like I'm absolutely buzzing for if well when and if that happens. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's too, there's so, there's so much like for a year that's been so quiet in terms of live music. It's it's allowed people to put stuff out that they might have been holding on to. I guess I don't know. Do you think that the likes of live streaming 
had a positive effect on uh, the industry and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, I think it did. It's it's something that I'm still kind of getting my head around, to be honest. Like I've watched a few of them, um, and uh, like they're great, but it's nowhere near the same as going to a show. Like I, I watched one on Sunday that um, Communion Music put on. They've started a series. And I was watching it on my telly, and I had a little beer, and I was like chilling out. I was like, yeah, this this is nice, but it's not. It's never going to replace it. And even when you see bands who've done something full on, it's it's got to be something really special. For, for, especially when like you think the average person, sometimes you're paying like a tenner to watch a stream. The average person's probably not going to be interested in that unless they're getting something really exclusive and really special. So I remember a few months ago, um, there was a streets one. They did it from Earth in Hackney. And one of the things that they did really well with that is that it wasn't just the band on the stage forming, but it was like Mike Skinner like going through the venue and like walking around it, and then he ended That's up cool. for, for the final song. He on roof. What? Yeah, what? honestly, he ended up on roof. <laughs> so it's stuff like that. You've got you've got to really think outside the box with it. Um, but it's just it's allowing artists to be more creative and sort of well having to be more creative as well, which. It's, it's separating the good from the bad, definitely. What caught my attention um, quite recently was, I don't know if you've heard of a stream called United We Stream, which is a mm. Manchester-based uh, stream. Sasha Lord's sort of involved with it. And yeah. they released that. Uh, their total views had hit 2 million unique streams, oh, wow. which is incredible because you couldn't fit 2 million people into any one venue in yeah. anywhere on the planet, really. <laughs> um so it's it's interesting because I, I I agree with what you're saying and that when uh, bands and DJs or whatever are charging, but I think the the idea of of, of what is essentially super cheap slash free yeah. promo for them. Um, oh, oh no, I do, I do definitely think like I'm not saying they shouldn't be charging like this. It's absolutely like you, I, I'm an advocate like you should pay for music like I, st- even stream like everyone's got a Spotify subscription or an Apple Music or whatever, but I, I still buy music because. You know, I mean, I'm sure you know, like the artists get the worst end of that deal because we're streaming. So you always support your favourites, definitely. Yeah, it is. Um, mm. I mean, that's just a, a, a constant conversation, that isn't it, about yeah. how streaming services um, just, just, I don't know how they get away with it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, so you present on Radio X, as we know, but is there any music that, might take us by surprise that you listen to is is there some sort of like uh 80s compilation that you listen to are you massively into what is love by hadaway or something like that is there is there any <laughs> it, is there any is, tunes it is funny you mentioned what is love by hadaway actually i've done that on karaoke <laughs> a few times no way uh, oh yeah yeah that's a hard one to sing that um mate, I, to be honest there's there's so much that that i love especially like um cheesy 80s music man like paul mccartney solo from was that <laughs> 70s when that came out like temporary secretary like i don't care what people say it's a tune um hall of notes absolute bangers um i think like are you the kind of guy who will have a playlist and listen to the same playlist for three weeks because that's what i do i'll have a playlist with 20 songs in and i will literally play that playlist on repeat for three weeks and I'll delete it and start a new one with just 20 tracks on. 
Nah, nah, I've, I've never really got into doing that. Like, I love building playlists and like putting them together, but I, tr- I try and mix it up every day or I listen to just full albums. Like today I've been listening to loads of um, Nils From just because I like that, that kind of sort of classical piano mixed with electronics, uh, particularly when I'm doing some work as well. Uh, but no, I don't, I don't stick to one playlist of 20 tunes, although that's a good way to, to really get to know a song, I guess. If you, well, the last, the last two questions I have are kind of constant questions I ask uh, every single guest. Mm. The first being, if you didn't do what you do, what do you think you'd be doing or what would you like to be doing? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, thing is, what I think I've, I'd be doing and what I'd like to be doing are probably very two different things. <laughs> like, like I've always, I've always been in in music since I was like, I've been in bands since I was fifteen. So I'd love to be doing something like that, or just producing or writing scores for films. Like that's something that I'd like love to get into um, and learn more about. But realistically, I don't think I'd be doing that as a full-time job <laughs> i don't know what i i mean the the if i didn't get that call from absolute i could still be in coffee shop couldn't i <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure you, you could be in a band by now that is potentially on radio x so Maybe. you never know <laughs> uh finally i ask all my guests this if you had a blank canvas what would you paint and why so when you when you told me about this question i did think about it and i thought well if I think about it too much, then it's not really a genuine answer, is it? Because it's like you've not presented me with a blank canvas and then just said, like, all right, have a, have a do on that. And this I always, is the thing. I yeah. was sorry to interrupt. I, I had this conversation with my friend who's kind of been helping with certain aspects of the podcast. And he said, mm. you should definitely ask them this one question in advance because it means that they can come up with a good answer. And I actually argued the case you're saying, and yeah. that is that actually it's better because you're literally giving them a blank canvas there and then. And the, the last two guests have given great answers, but. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think it's it's a case because like no one likes being caught like put on the spot, and and believe me, I've done it enough times with interviews <laughs> just in the last two weeks. Like I I got with Dave Grohl one. I got I was trying to get like a, a reaction to um, Trump getting um, getting out of office, and he was just like, uh, I, 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 I don't, oh. I don't and, and I was just like, okay, let's not go there. Um, but if I'm honest, like I'd love to think like if it were an actual canvas, like. I'd love to think that I'd do some like bizarre sort of like Picasso, like a Guernica sort of painting. But realistically, you know, you know that S that everyone did in the back of the school books where you do the three lines and then you join them all up. Yeah. It looks like the soup. I'd probably just do a massive one of them. <laughs> Brilliant. George, thank you very much for your time, mate. It's been no a lot of fun. Cameron. Nice one. Thanks for having me on. 